you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. Your boy Rob Clark welcoming you to the 22 November Network. Get ready for another exciting edition of the Lone Gunman Podcast featuring me. That's right, your boy Rob Clark coming at you. Stay tuned. Be right there. What is up, everybody? This is your boy Rob Clark coming at you for this special edition of the Lone Gummin Podcast on the 22nd of November, 2014. And I know some people are saying, Rob, what are you doing? Your last episode was supposed to be your last episode, right? Well, I hate paying for something that I don't use. <laughs> no, that's not the only reason. Um, I felt that I owed it to my listeners to my family at the 22 November network that I started all this with um, and myself you know to get on here and you know I put a lot of time and effort into the Lone Gunman podcast over the past six months and you know it just what it's afforded me to do and and my presence in the community and, you know, maybe get a little respect. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I've met a lot of great people doing this. And I've had a lot of great opportunities afforded to me because of this. So, I just felt that I needed uh, and I wanted to to get on here on this, the 51st anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy and, and, and chat a little bit with you. Um, nothing real specific. Today, you know, I, I just want to uh, 
talk a little bit about, you know, the assassination, where we are, where I am, um, as a whole, and just do a little reflecting, you know, it's, uh, it's been 51 years and a lot of people will say that, you know, we're, we're, we're not, we're not even close to solving the case yet. You know, we're about as close as we were 51 years ago, but I would beg to differ with them. Because I personally believe within the next 10 years, uh, this case is going to be blown wide open. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to need to be a collaborative effort. You know, I've seen, and I've had a, a more discerning eye on it, you know, since I started doing this podcast. Just because, you know, I want to be as informed as possible when I get on here and talk about things and... I don't really have one area that I, excuse me, uh, focus on, you know, of the assassination. And, you know, last week, Doug on his podcast asked me, you know, if there's one area of the assassination that you, you know, do you think that, uh, you you know, you sleep on a little bit, not really uh, focus on or research much. And, yeah, I told him, you know, yeah, it was probably the the uh, Tippett case because it's so damn hard, and it's such a Herculean task to to sort out all the facts and the times and the testimony and get a clear picture of exactly what happened and exactly how it happened and exactly uh, who did it. And I couldn't be happier that our pal SR Dusty Rose Dusty has joined the 22 November network family. Uh, you know, we had his first one and it blew it up. It blew up the website. Um, the most, most ever hits yet on the website and releasing today on the 22nd of November is part two. And he's going to tell you who the killer of, uh, officer JD Tippett was. And I think he's got it right. Excuse me. And it's guys like this that are doing the footwork, doing the research, pounding the documents, you know, searching, 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 and putting these puzzle pieces together and bringing it to the audience in a way that is easily understood, you know, for such a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, for such a, a tangled web of events, you know, that day, you know, to make sense of it if you're hearing it or reading it is, is very hard to do. Um, you know, there's whole books written on the tippet, the tippet murder, you know, four or 500 page books, <clears throat> but sometimes you get lost in the minutia. You know, it doesn't need to be like that. You know, Dusty's article was in in original form, uh, you know, six, seven pages. And, you know, he cuts through the cuts through the crap and, and gets to the heart of things. And, explains it real easy that the timeline, the official timeline, just doesn't work. And they lied about the official timeline. You know, he he tells us, and he gets to the core of things, and figures out exactly when J.D. Tippett was killed. And he believes it was around 106, and I, I concur. Which means there's no way in hell that Lee Oswald could have got from his rooming house to 10th and Patton in six minutes. There's no way. It's just not possible. 
Um, end of story. Okay, it was not Lee Harvey Oswald that killed J.D. Tippett, and that's it. You know, then the question becomes, well, who did and why? And you know, hopefully this this part two is going to clear things up on that end of it. But I was blown away by it, and you know, he is the man. Okay. So congratulations to Dusty. You know, you blew up the website, brother, and uh, keep up the good work. I know he's not going to stop. You know, he's uh, he's very tenacious in his research, and, and, and that's what it is. It's the grassroots research community. It's people like Dusty. You know, it's people like uh, David Josephs. You know, people like that that, that keep doing this original research. Uh, Linda Giovanni Zambi, Zambini, and I'm probably getting the damn last name wrong. I should have wrote it down. Um, Linda Giovanni Zambanini and, and, and people like that, that that just keep on digging and digging and putting these puzzle pieces together because that's the thing if you focus on one part of this assassination too too much um, you're never going to get the full picture you're never going to understand what happened you know yeah you have to get out of Dealey Plaza but you know what you got to get you got to understand what happened in Dealey Plaza you know for everything else to make sense you need to get the real story of what happened in Dealey Plaza, you know, to figure out what made sense. You know, you got one person telling you this, one person telling you that. You know, it's very hard to put together. You know, Bill Newman uh, and his wife and two and two small children were the closest uh, witnesses to the execution of John Kennedy. They were probably less than ten feet away, and. You know, of course, eyewitness testimony is unreliable because in that moment, and like Doug was talking with Garland about, you know, people um, didn't come to Dealey Plaza to witness an execution. They came to see the president. They came to see a motorcade or a parade or whatever you want to call it. You know, they came to see the president, the governor, the vice president, all in one motorcade, you know, not to witness a murder. And when something like that traumatizing happens your body is not prepared for it and it interprets events differently that's why we have so many differing stories about Dealey Plaza and uh, like I was saying Bill Newman um, you know unless the Zapruder film is you know more altered than I think it is um, you know poor Bill bless his heart you know he this is the closest witness to the uh, execution, okay? And he says that John Kennedy stood up in his seat, okay? And then he was shot in the head. <clears throat> well, as we all know, that's not in the Zapruder film. It's not in the Nix film. It's not in the Mormon photo, okay? So Bill Newman has to be wrong unless all these other films and photos have been uh, severely altered, which I don't think they were. As far as that part of it, um, you know, I'm sure in the heat of the moment, you know, and, and the Newmans went on TV like 10 minutes after the assassination and were interviewed, you know, I think it was on WFAA there in Dallas. You know, the guy grabbed him and said, hey, come to the studio, you know, we'll put you live on the air and interview. I mean, he had his kids right there and everything. And, you know, it's stuff like that where... You know, he was the closest one, but he still got something wrong. And it might have seemed that way to him. 
You know, but it's just little things like that that you can't always trust eyewitnesses and you have to parse out you know the the truth from the from the mistakes. And you know, even though Bill Newman had that one mistake, you know, he still believed that the shots came from over his shoulder, you know, up up on that little hill there is what he called it, you know, before it was affectionately known as the grassy knoll. And eventually his story was changed and he, you know, convinced, he was convinced that he must have been wrong about that. Um, you know, by the Warren commission, you know, cause people are naive. Um, and I, I, I don't want to use the term, uh, you know, dumb or stupid, but people can be easily manipulated and, you know, if you're a simple, you know, country boy from Texas and you know what you think you heard, you know what you thought you saw. Maybe they said, look, you see all these pictures, you see the movies. It's obvious Kennedy wasn't standing up when he was shot in the head. Maybe you're wrong about the direction of the shot. Maybe it was just an echo. You know, because we have Lee Harvey Oswald up here on the sixth floor of this building shooting. You know, nobody could have been by up on that up on that uh, hill there so and he's changed his mind a couple of times about about where the shots were but uh so yeah that's that's just a little example of how eyewitness testimony can be um not so reliable but back to what i was t- saying um you know i think this case is going to be solved in, in the next 10 years i think Hopefully, we're going to get some documents out of the CIA. Um, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, is it, they're not going to give us anything, you know. Well, they have in the past. And, you know, eventually the gig is going to be up. Um, you know, there's important work being done about Lee Harvey Oswald and uh, Mexico City. You know, we have the recent revelation from Antonio Vesiana concerning uh, David Alley Phillips being Maurice Bishop. You know, we all pretty much know, okay, that Lee Oswald was some kind of a low-level agent of the CIA and likely an informant for the FBI, likely working for Guy Bannister in New Orleans, uh, you know, doing this, uh, COINTELPRO work and God only knows what Oswald thought he was doing in Dallas, you know, leading up to the assassination. You know, it's hard to say. Um, that's the thing with this case, you know, once you get something figured out, it's like, (laughs) here comes something else to blindside you and be like, wow, you know? And, uh, like just today, David Joseph posted, posted something about, you know, he, cause he wrote a good article about Oswald in Mexico. It's over on the, uh, ctka.net site, sitka.net. That's Jim D. Eugenio's website. And he wrote an article over there about Oswald in Mexico. And he came across a document, um, between the, I think it was between the FBI and the INS. They were trying to get information about 
where Oswald crossed the border and went into Mexico. And I believe he crossed in Laredo. And But anyway, the document uh, came back from the INS to the FBI saying, yeah, I think we have Oswald crossing from Laredo here. And then it said, and we also have his brother crossing in on the same day at a different location. You know, it wasn't Laredo, it was somewhere else. Now that <laughs> is crazy. Now they didn't name the brother. They didn't say it was Robert Oswald. They didn't say it was John Pike. Could it have been Harvey Lee Oswald? Or H.L. Lee? Or, you know, who knows? I mean, I don't... I don't I, I don't think John Pike was in the area at that time, but I could be mistaken about that. And I probably am. Um, but I wish there was more clarification. But it's just, you know, so little things like that. Where you, you're like, what? His brother crossed into Mexico the same day? Well, damn. You know, and then you're like, all right, what's happening here, really? Because Robert Oswald is another one that bugs the shit out of me. Because he's still alive, you know, like Marina and Buell Frazier and Ruth Payne and <clears throat> all these other people that went along with and said what the Warren Commission wanted them to say about Lee Oswald. And, you know, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for that shoe to drop because, and I I had heard that David Lifton was going to have a book coming out with revelations from Robert Oswald in it. And it's been years in the making and still waiting for this book from Lifton. And, and cause I want to know what, what the revelations are because I have heard before that Robert Oswald was CIA <clears throat> you know, this is not the first time that, that, you know, Robert Oswald has been implicated in things. And I can't remember the guy's name right offhand. Um, but he wrote a book kind of condensing Harvey and Lee, you know, John Armstrong's epic, you know, 800 some page book down into like a 100 or 200 page book. And I heard an interview with him and he stated on there twice that, that, that Robert Oswald was CIA. And I don't know where he got his information from. But then, you know, you hear something like that and then you read something like I read today about his brother crossing into Mexico the same day. There's two puzzle pieces, you know, you got to try to put together. You know, with the interview, Invention of the internet. I mean, we're still relatively new to this whole internet thing. You know, yeah, it was around in the 90s. But it wasn't stock full of information like it is now. And, you know, you see it day after day on Facebook. You know, people people joining the groups. Uh, new people to the case. People getting involved with things. Uh, wanting to, you know, r really, you know, figure out what happened. And I do believe in 10 years... 
we are going to have this thing nailed shut. Uh, you know, Doug Horn been doing great work. You know, hopefully his, his Pruder film uh, documentary is going to blow the lid off of that. And it's going to be like the dominoes. They're going to start falling, you know. Hopefully, you know, with with with, uh, with Dusty's work, with the tip, tip and murder, you know, we can clarify that and, and figure that out. And what I was trying to say to Doug the other night <clears throat> about Jack Ruby is I think he was more involved than everybody gives him credit for. You know, everybody just dismisses, you know, the fact and, and all these reports to say that, that Ruby knew Oswald. Or they saw Oswald, you know, in the Carousel Club talking to Jack Ruby. You know, we had the Carol Jarnigan, we had Beverly Oliver, um, who's still alive and kicking. Uh, people like that, you know, but it's discounted and dismissed. And, you know, I wrote an article about Jack Ruby. And if you want to read it, head over to 22NovemberNetwork.wordpress.com for my article, for Dusty's article, for Doug's podcast, mine. Uh, Gail has a new article up. Martin Rigby has a new article up. And hopefully, Francesca will come through. Um, oh, the Ruby piece. <clears throat> well, yeah, what I was saying, or trying to say in the article, is if you look at the mysterious way that Larry Crayford enters the picture... You know, about the same time Oswald starts at the school book depository and becomes becomes Jack becomes Jack Ruby's uh you know, boy Friday, his jack of all trades, his you know, his bartender, his bouncer, his fix it man. And the way he abruptly exits town, um, very suspicious. You know, not to mention that he kind of resembles Oswald, um, I think. Maybe not, you know, twin brother status, but, you know, maybe if you met him once or seen him from afar, you would possibly say think that they're the same people. You know, it's possible. Um, you know, just odd things like that. What would make Jack Ruby kill Lee Oswald? Is Jack Ruby a murderer? Had he murdered before? You know, I don't think so. Um, you know, to kill somebody that didn't personally do anything to you. Okay? Like, I could see if Lee Oswald had, you know, killed Jack Ruby's sister. Okay, I could understand if someone wanted vengeance on somebody like that, I could understand if they were blinded by rage and love and, you know, just out of pure hatred, just killed somebody for doing something to them so wrong or killing somebody they loved. Okay. But for Jack Ruby to just take it upon himself out of the kindness of his own heart and throw his life away, basically, uh, you know, to murder 
the suspected assassin. You know, this guy hadn't even been in a court yet. You know, the evidence was very, very thin back then. At that time. You know, this, he was the suspected assassin. He wasn't proven of anything. <clears throat> you know. That takes a lot. You know, to, to murder someone in cold blood. On national television in front of the world. When they didn't even do anything to you personally. That's what I can't get past. Therefore. You have to come to the conclusion that there was a, another reason that Ruby had to silence Oswald before he talked too much. You know, it's called self-preservation. Okay? Sometimes, in order to prevent... Okay, look at it like this. Would you rather be known as someone who orchestrated the killing of America's most beloved president ever? Or would you rather be known as the man who killed the alleged assassin of the most beloved president ever? Probably the latter, I would guess. And, you know, we had Jack Ruby's first lawyer dying, Tom Howard. Dorothy Kilgallen dying. You know, these strange, strange deaths surrounding this case, you know. And I just don't understand, you know, how people think that Jack Ruby was just this, you know, this harmless, you know, nightclub owner who who was just so passionate about, you know, John F. Kennedy and, and... Oh, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, he was seen all over the place that day. He was seen at the school book depository out front. He was seen up on the grassy knoll by Gene Hill. He was seen and in, in photographed at Parkland. You know, he was photographed outside the Texas school book depository. He was photographed outside the Texas theater. Um, you know, but yet he says that he was in the newspaper office, but there's no witnesses that can say that he was there at that time. And, you know, everything gets screwy from there because you're thinking, okay, well, why would Jack Ruby want JFK dead? You know, and, and I've read a theory that, that, that maybe Jack Ruby wanted Connolly dead because <clears throat> of the, something about the laws of Texas and trying to get some uh, things reversed or people let go. Maybe, you know, it was, it was making it too hard for Jack Ruby to do business in the state of Texas or too, too hard for organized crime to take a good hold in Texas. I don't know. You know, Lee Oswald didn't have a beef with John Kennedy. Lee Oswald didn't really have a beef with John Connolly. You know, unless you you look at the fact that, you know, he, I think he might have uh, reversed his discharge from honorable to dishonorable. I don't know. I can't remember. But, 
on a personal level, these men wouldn't want, wouldn't probably want, you know, the president or the governor killed. Which makes you think that, okay, Lee Oswald was really a, a nobody. You know, he was a, he was a wannabe spy loser. You know, but Jack Ruby, he got things done. He was, uh, you know, he was a gun runner. You know, he ran businesses. You know, he ran a tight ship. He got things done. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, if you go read John Armstrong's article on Jack Ruby over at HarveyandLee.net, if you scroll down to the bottom of the page, you'll find his new article on Jack Ruby. You know, it, it's it's awful funny, you know, that, that Jack Ruby's military records are under the name Jack Ruby and not Jacob Rubenstein because when he was in the military, he wasn't Jack Ruby yet. He hadn't legally changed his name. And I doubt he went back and told the military that he had changed his name. And I doubt that they had went back and changed the name on his records. Because if you go and look at the Warren commission, his military records are under the name Jack Ruby, not Jacob Rubenstein, which they should have been. And in the military, Jacob Rubenstein was a MP, military police, which is one step away, basically, from being military intelligence. And there is, uh, I think there's a witness from, I think it was Muncie, Indiana, who saw Jack Ruby, I think, two or three times at a, uh, I guess it was a communist meeting of some sort. And he had a press pass from the worker, you know, which is a communist propaganda magazine from the Soviet Union. And one of the, one of the ones that Lee Oswald had in his hand in the backyard photo, allegedly. And if Jack Ruby was there with that press pass, I doubt he was working for the worker. He was more than likely working for military intelligence, you know, kind of under the radar trying to figure out what this group of people were, were meeting about and talking about. And he was posing as one of them more than likely. Um, and then we have, you know, Jack Ruby's gun running to Cuba and it, his dealings in Florida. And, uh, so, and, and, you know, when you're mixed up in Florida and Cuba and gun running and, and equipment and trying to broker deals and, and, uh, you know, meeting with Santos Traficante and dealing with the gambling stuff, <clears throat> you know, you're in deep. And he was likely working or doing or reporting back or, or, or being an asset for the CIA then. So, was Jack Ruby still working for the CIA on November 22nd, 1963? That's a question. That's a question I'd like to know the answer for, you know. Because who has the power, who had the power to order Jack Ruby to kill Lee Oswald in cold blood on national television in front of the world, knowing that that's it, buddy, your life is done, okay? Because he couldn't have been so delusional to think, well, hey, I'm going to kill this guy, and they're going to think I'm the greatest thing ever. I'll be the Jewish hero. No, nobody's that dumb. Okay, he knew what he was doing. He knew what the consequences were going to be. And somehow he felt that he had to do it. Is it threats? Is it blackmail? 
you know, or exactly how do you motivate to kill someone to kill like that? Self-preservation. Desperation is how you do it. You know, maybe you say, if you don't do it, buddy, we've got your sister right here. We'll kill her, and then we're going to head up north and get the rest of your family. Or you do it. <clears throat> Something to that effect. It's hard to say. But somehow with with the with the uh aftermath of the assassination, something got bungled. Tippin got killed. He made it out of the Texas Theater alive. Some something bungled the whole thing. Something messed up the entire thing. And Jack Ruby had to make it right. He, that Patsy had to be dead. You know, he can't have Lee Oswald talk, talk, talking, you know. And he waited until the last possible opportunity to do it. But he was stalking Lee Oswald the day before in the police department. Maybe he couldn't get a clear shot. Maybe he couldn't get close enough then. Maybe he wanted to let Oswald know, hey, dude, I'm right here. Keep your fucking mouth shut. You know, I'm right here. I'm going to make sure you say nothing. Um, hard to say. But that's it. I just wanted to, to hop on here and I wanted to thank everyone again for, for supporting me and Doug and, and everybody over at the 22 November Network. All of my fellow grassroots JFK researchers on Facebook and out there in, in the ether. You know, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for supporting us and what we're trying to do. And just keep up the good work. Keep researching. Don't give up. Um, you know, I would just ask you to broaden your scope a little bit. Don't get stuck in one area of the assassination. Okay. When, because when you focus on something too much and that's all you do, um, you know, you tend to shut other things down that could be important to the case and you don't take them into account. And that's where everything gets flawed to actually get to the bottom of this. We need to work together we need to take all of our different puzzle pieces and put them together and form a narrative and, and get it right. It's something we can all agree on. And I think we're getting there. And this, you know, this is not the end for me. It's definitely not the end for Doug. It's definitely not the end of the 22 November Network. We're still going to be going strong. I'll still be blogging over there. I'll still be coming on Doug's show every couple of weeks or so just to chat. Um... Because I love doing it. I love talking about it. And, and this show might not be, you know, prolific. I still might get on here every once in a while. And, and, and when, the, uh, when, the, when the muse hits me. Um, so I'm not going to call any of my future shows the last show anymore. That was a pretty dumb idea on my part. And I apologize. Uh, but it, yeah, it's been a while. And, uh, I, you know, I just wanted to get on here and... Just uh, go off a little bit about, you know, some things. And but uh, yeah, keep everybody keep keep the memory of JFK alive and what you're doing, and, and that's honoring him and trying to find the truth, uh, you know, as to who murdered him and why. And keep fighting the good fight, my people. Um, that's about all I can say about it. Um. So, 
until next time, and I don't know when that'll be, uh, you know, just, just, uh, just stay at it. Keep coming to the uh, website. If you want to get at us, it's 22NovemberNetwork at gmail.com. If you want to get at me personally, it's the Lone Gumman Podcast at gmail.com. We got a Facebook page for each podcast, one for the network. You know, you can find us on Facebook pretty much anytime you want. We're all over the place in a bunch of different groups. So get at us if you want to chat. You know, it's 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 been fun, and uh, but take time today. Maybe pop in uh, Oliver Stone's movie and watch it again. You know, just do something, do something to honor the memory of JFK. All right, that's it for this one. This is your boy Rob Clark shooting this up to the satellite, beaming it down directly to your ears. This one is in the can, people. Peace. to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. 
This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.